Hey guys, so um, the teachings over the last uh, few weeks have, uh, uh, have the strange nature. They're, they're, not, they're not prophetic, uh, but they are predictive and descriptive. Uh, and what I mean by that is a prophetic teaching would be uh, where in the teaching you're begin, beginning to speak of things that are going to happen or you're revealing things in the word that have not been revealed yet. So I'm not talking about that. I'm not saying the teaching is prophetic, but during the time of preparing the teaching or during the delivery of the teaching, it's predictive as in it tells you what is happening presently with us and then describes what is happening. And so this is one of those teachings again, which is both predictive and descriptive uh, as in God saying, hey, while you're listening to this teaching, I want you to know this is where you are and this is what it looks like. Uh, that is something that either is happening while the teaching is being prepared or while it's being delivered. And so, like for instance, last week, we were talking about uh, uh, Palm Sunday and suddenly uh, uh, God made it evident that uh, our time of concealment is over. It was not that your time of concealment will soon be over. There is a time coming, but suddenly it was predictive as in you are at this place in your phases of life where the time of concealment is over. So that's what I mean by predictive and descriptive. Maybe there are better words to use than that, but uh, I, wanna ha I want you to have a sense of that. And so the teaching today, uh, if you want to title it, it's Third Day. That's the title of the teaching, Third Day, Third Day. And so if you go to 1 Corinthians 15, 1 Corinthians 15, uh, verse 4, uh, we'll start there. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 3 and 4. For what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance. Amazing, eh? He actually puts first importance there. For what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance, as in primary that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures that he was buried and that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures that he was buried and that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures and yet you wonder sometimes what scriptures Paul is alluding to because there's no specific verse in the Old Testament which is what he would be talking about not the Gospels that specifically say that Jesus is going to rise on the third day. And yet, right from the beginning of time, right from Genesis onwards, there have been these glimpses or parallels that God has continuously established to show us that there was a rising up or a resurrection that was afoot. So if you go to Luke uh, 24, 46, Luke 24, 46, Uh, starting at verse 45. Then he opened their minds so they could understand the scriptures. He told them, this is what is written. The Christ will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day. The, the Christ will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day. And there too it says, uh, he was trying to explain the scriptures to them. If you go to Hosea 6 verse 2. Hosea 6 verse 2. Hosea 6 verse 2. Let's read verse 1 and 2. Come, let us return to the Lord. He has torn us to pieces, but he will heal us. He has injured us, but he will bind up our wounds. So easy for Israel to take this upon herself as having suffered it. But the strange thing was when Israel was formed, the first thing God says is, you are my son. Israel, you are my firstborn son. And when you look at it in that light, then this begins to make even more sense. It's almost like the song says, Friday's disappointment and Sunday's rising. Saturday has gone through, but 
what is impossible for God. Come, let us return to the Lord. He has torn us to pieces, but he will heal us. He has injured us, but he will bind up our wounds. After two days, he will revive us. On the third day, he will restore us, that we may live in his presence. Then if you go to Genesis 22.4. Genesis 22.4. Genesis 22.4. Starting at verse 3. Early the next morning, Abraham got up and saddled his donkey. He took with him two of his servants and his son Isaac. When he had cut enough wood for the burnt offerings, he set out for the place God had told him about. On the third day, Abraham looked up and saw the place in the distance. He said to his servants, stay here with the donkey while I and the boy go over there. We will worship and then we will come back to you on the third day. And that is the day when Isaac is raised from literally the dead, as it says in Hebrews 11. And so one of the statements that we want to make today and one we'll start with is that in Christ, we are living in the third day. In Christ, we are living in the third day. And today we want to look at what does that entail? What does that entail? In the Old Testament, you will find that on the third day, God seems to have a pattern of doing redemptive things, as in rescuing or ransoming or setting people free. He has a pattern of doing revelatory things, as in bringing a new way, a new uh, system into place. And he has a pattern of doing resurrective things on the third day. On the third day, this seems to be something that God keeps doing. It's a pattern. And it's not a once or twice pattern. It's a repeated pattern of redemptive things, of revelatory things, of resurrective things done on the third day. One of the first mentions of the third day is obviously in Genesis 1. Genesis 1 verse 9 to 13. Genesis 1, 9 to 13. And here's what happens on the third day. There's a separation, there is a seeding, and there is fruitfulness. There is a separation, there is a seeding, there is fruitfulness. It almost takes you to Good Friday. A separation, a seeding, a fruitfulness. And God said, let there be an expanse between the waters to separate water from water. Sorry, uh, uh, verse 9. God said, let the water under the sky be gathered to one place and let the dry ground appear. And it was so. God called the dry ground land and gathered the waters he called seas. And God saw that it was good. Then God said, let the land produce vegetation. Seed-bearing plants and trees on the land that bear fruit with seed in it according to their various kinds. And it was so. The land produced vegetation, plants bearing seed according to their kinds, trees bearing fruit with seed in it according to their kinds. And God saw that it was good. And there was evening and there was morning the third day. So the first time the third day is mentioned, there is separation, there is seeding, there is fruitfulness. Another third day example is in uh, Exodus 19.16. Exodus 19.16. Exodus 19.16. Man, this coffee is good. <clears throat> On the morning of the third day, there was thunder and lightning with thick cloud over the mountain and a very loud trumpet blast. Everyone in the camp trembled. Then Moses led the people out of the camp to meet with God, and they stood at the foot of the mountain. Mount Sinai was covered with smoke because the Lord descended on it in fire. The smoke billowed up from it like smoke from a furnace. The whole mountain trembled violently, and the sound of the trumpet grew louder and louder. Then Moses spoke, and the voice of God answered him. So on the third day, God descends on Mount Sinai in fire, and he constitutes a new nation, new life and new laws after delivering Israel out of Egypt. And so this goes back to the whole idea of uh, uh, being revelatory, being resurrective, being redemptive, where 
on the third day and I'm saying to you that in Christ we are living in the third day and like I said this message is predictive and descriptive and it gives us an idea of where we are located presently both corporately and as individuals if you want to take advantage of what is happening to us as a body and that's what we'll keep exploring today so on the third day in Exodus 19 we see God descending on Mount Sinai in fire and constituting or beginning a new nation a new life and he gives them new laws go to Joshua 1.11 Joshua 1.11 I'm just pulling out a few examples. You'll be surprised at how many examples there actually are. Joshua 1.11. So Joshua ordered the officers of the people, go through the camp and tell the people, get your supplies ready. Three days from now, you will cross the Jordan here to go in and take possession of the land the Lord your God is giving for your own. And then if you go to Joshua 3.2, it actually happens. After three days, the officer went throughout the camp giving orders to the people. When you see the Ark of the Covenant, um, begin to follow it. The point being, again, on the third day, the Israelites crossed Jordan to enter and possess the land that was given to them as an inheritance by God. Go to Esther 5. Esther 5. Esther 5 verse 1. Esther 5. Hey, there's a slight boop in the mic. I don't know why. If there's a way to remove it, remove it. If not, I can live with it. And so can everybody on live stream. Esther 5. Maybe it's just me spitting a lot today. And if it is that, I don't want to know about it. Could you please own it and say it's your fault? Where is Esther? How come we've never had an Esther at Acts 29? I have no idea. I can hear it. Yeah. Esther, I found her. This is not a profound statement, but if you ever want to find Esther, Derek, you can always find her somewhere near Job or Nehemiah. Yeah? Okay. <laughs> All right, moving on. <laughs> yeah, we'll have more news on Derek later. Third day. Esther 5, on the third day, Esther put on her royal robes and stood in the inner court of the palace in front of the king's hall. The king was sitting on his royal throne in the hall facing the entrance. And that's when Queen Esther enters. On the third day, Esther goes before the Persian king to thwart a death plot against her people. These are different third day examples I'm giving you. And one of the things that happens uh, when a church or a people or a person is in this third day position is that God unveils himself corporately and individually like you have never seen him before. God unveils himself corporately. God unveils or discloses himself. God unveils or discloses himself Corporately and individually, like you have never seen him before. Like you have never seen him before. And I'm saying to you, not just based on this teaching, but uh, based on my present experience, that this is absolutely true. And I could share the experience of a few others that are actually um, going through this right now, where God begins to unveil himself corporately and individually like you haven't seen before. And so, um, either based on this teaching, 
and then based on the experiences that are presently happening within the church. I would suggest to you that if you haven't already plunged in or dove in, uh, I would suggest that you take advantage of uh, this uh, weakness of God, which will be to your strength. Another thing that happens during this time is that God begins to descend, expecting... God descends expecting you to ascend and access. God descends expecting you to ascend and access. So Jacob, how does that work in real terms? If there are questions, you let me know, right? Um, how does this work in real terms? Whenever God descends to meet you, you will know. There will be constant interruptions, invitations, uh, interventions in your life, which will make it evident that God is trying to get your attention. And once he does that, he then positions himself far away enough so that you have to make an effort to catch him. That's what this actually looks like. And then when you make an effort, you have to ascend. And as soon as he sees you ascending, he gives you access. He sees your effort and he suddenly opens up a pathway for you to find out something about him, to connect to him in ways of worship, connect to his word and see things, have things in your life that are almost dying come back to life, bring hope where there is no hope, give you a fist-sized cloud to expect rain, these things begin to happen. And when he does this, the other thing he makes sure is that limits, regulations, barriers are removed. He did this with Israel in Exodus 19. He removes limits, he removes regulations, he removes barriers, so you have full access. And you will find this. He'll begin to say strange things to you. He goes to Abraham, and uh, the way he does it with Abraham is he turns to Abraham and he says, um, I will not hide things from you because I call you my friend. That is how God removes limits, regulations, barriers, invites you to ascend, descends and meets you with statements like that. It's his word that always creates pathways. It has always been his word that creates pathways. Be it the word in flesh, Jesus, or be it the word at the beginning of time when things were created, or be it the word that was spoken so that you got saved, or be it the word that is being spoken now so that it penetrates your spirit and begins to stir things up. That is how this works. What is the expectation that he has for, has for me and, or expects of me? It is that I will enter in and that I will either fight the enemy that tries to prevent me or that I will wrestle with him as he tries to uh, not prevent but provoke me so that in the bargain I can shake loose my inheritance for others. This is the only religion, this is the only kingdom where people get an inheritance for the sake of others. In every other relationship, you get an inheritance so that you can use it. But this is the only kingdom, only religion, or only father-son relationship where you receive an inheritance for others. Your inheritance is not for you to eat. Your inheritance is for you to distribute. Why? Because this is one of those few fathers, or the only father, who has an inexhaustible inheritance for you. So keeping it to yourself only causes the grain to rot. 
thing is guys the days leading up to the third day the days leading up to the third day are a time of concealment a time of seclusion a time of testing a time of preparation the days leading up the days leading up to the third day is usually a time of seclusion a time of testing a time of preparation a time of concealment so you can see why this message is predictive because last week when i didn't know that god would have us deal with this topic he was saying that the time of concealment is over and this week i am saying that in christ we are in the third day of our lives as a people i don't even say as acts 29 because as a people because this church is larger than just a group that um turns up on zoom for the agm the days leading up to the third day are a time of concealment a time of seclusion a time of testing a time of preparation as it was with esther as it was with israel as it was with um, many others that i can pull out as examples but the third day if that is what we were and none of these things are bad they're all good seclusion concealment testing preparation they're actually good things are manifested only after they develop in hiddenness things manifest only after they develop in hiddenness things that do not develop in hiddenness and are manifested without hiddenness are usually shallow or die early because there has not been enough maturity one of the struggles that some of us go through especially when it comes to kingdom work or god related activity is on one hand we want god and we want the people of god to recognize the abilities the giftings and the talents we um, possess and they are genuine valid talents gifts abilities callings and so we want people to recognize it and we want god to begin to use us in that and if it is not recognized we feel embittered about it and then we go off on our own and attempt things and when we attempt things on our own it doesn't work out and we come back to that place where we feel embittered because nothing worked out i used to be like this i knew the calling on my life the gifts that i had the abilities and the talents i had i knew i was blessed in things that would really affect kingdom and church but there needed to be a process through which it would become vintage or mature and that was something that i couldn't wait for and so when it wasn't recognized that i'd run off on my own and have some success but not what i knew god wanted to give me and it would leave me embittered that it wasn't recognized it would also leave me embittered that it wasn't working out some of you are in that place especially some of you that are young are in that place so you end up trying to free egypt by killing an egyptian but then you also find that when israelites are fighting and you go and help them they turn and tattletale on you and threaten to report you to pharaoh then you have to go through this 40 year process that could be much shorter had you started well in the back side of the sinai till you have to confront the burning bush you can do better the young should not commit the same mistakes that the older do the young should learn from the mistakes that the older ones have committed on your behalf so that you don't do the same thing i believe doris's son maximo was watching me on live stream and he said 
Man, look at his mustache, it's gone all white. I'd half a mind to start dyeing my mustache, but decided against it because then you'd hear me quoting things like I die every day. And then that'd be terrible. I mean, can you imagine the jokes that would come from there? I die every day. Pardon? Uh, um, Michael's asking, where's the groan? Did you say groan or drum roll? Oh, drum roll, sorry, not, sorry. Yeah. Yeah, as pastors get older, you have to have the drum roll and the groan because the jokes get really sad or repetitive. Yeah, yeah. If that is what the day is leading up to the third day is, then the third day, the third day, hey Phoebe, I just want to say hello to Phoebe, she's not here. Phoebes, Phoebe, Phoebe, hi. Okay. The third day is one of emergence, Appearance, sprouting, revival, release of new life, release of new life. And what's cool about the third day? is everything that happens on the third day is unexpected and unprecedented. That's what I love about it. And we are in this day, church. I wish I was some kind of prophet with a long white beard and a stick and uh, had opened the Fraser or something. Maybe you'd believe me. But unfortunately, that ain't happening. Uh, so you'll have to just Trust that this is such a rhema word from God, man. That the third day is one of emergence, of appearance, of sprouting, of revival, of the release of new life. And it is unexpected. It is not what you think it should look like. And it's unprecedented, as in it hasn't happened before. It is brilliant. I'm living in those days right now. It's not even a statement of faith. It's a factual statement. And I'm saying to you, God is inviting us as a people and as individuals to come and enjoy this. Saying, hey, in your individual lives, I know you've been through seclusion and concealment. And he's not talking about COVID. There's no word called isolation there. It's seclusion. So, don't connect this with COVID. He's saying, I know things have been concealed for a while. You've been waiting. You've been secluded. You have had promises, but you have had those promises in seclusion. There's been testing. And you've been prepared almost like Esther for six months, for 12 months. But that is the time when you're heading into the third day. But now that you've arrived at the third day, it's a day of emergence, of appearance, of sprouting, of revival, of release of new life. And it is unexpected. It is not as you expected. And neither is it as you have ever experienced it. Unprecedented means a life that has not yet been lived. That is the, that is the, that is the meaning of the word unprecedented. An unprecedented life is, an, is a life that you have not lived yet. This is where I am right now, man. This is where many in the church are. If we were gathering together, we would stop now and talk about it. I can stop if you want to, if you want to talk about it. Uh, meaning, I have stopped. If, in case you want to talk about it. Anyone here or anyone at home? If you're at home, you know how to get through. And if you're here, you know how to get up here. Go listen to this message again. It'll help you. Anyone? 
Let's go to Hosea 6.2. Hosea 6.2. Hosea 6.2. If this is God, I'm saying it is, receive it and appropriate it with faith and great joy. Hosea 6, verse 1 and 2. Hosea 6, verse 1 and 2. Come, let us return to the Lord. He has torn us to pieces, but he will heal us. He has injured us, but he will bind up our wounds. After two days, he will, he will revive us. On the third day, he will restore us, that we may live in his presence. If you looked at that verse, then day one is, Come, let us return to the Lord. That's what happens on day one. Day one is come, let us return to the Lord. Hey, Phoebe waved back and said hi. Awesome. Come, let us return to the Lord. Day two is he will revive us. Day three is he will raise us up. Day three is he will raise us up. I want to say to you that day two revivals can only happen from a day three position. Day two revivals can only happen from a day three position. So if we are saying that we at present are being asked by the Lord to um, ignite a global revival, then we need to understand that where we need to live is not in day two but in day Three. And we'll talk about that. Because day one is come let us return to the Lord. Day two is he will revive us. Day three is he will raise us up. But day two revivals can only happen from a day three position. As in only the raised up are used by God to revive, to quicken, to awaken, to give life. Only the raised up are used by God to revive, quicken, and give life. So what does that look like? And we'll end with that. What does it look like when a people are raised up? What is a raised up people like? And this suddenly becomes real for us because of the global revival that God is igniting, proclaiming, announcing through us. Igniting, proclaiming, uh, living out, and announcing through us. What does a raised up people look like? Raised up people, I'll just call them R-U-P. Raised up people are constantly exploring, are constantly exploring. Raised up people are constantly exploring the surpassing greatness, the surpassing greatness the surpassing greatness of the power of God of the power of God in the midst of everyday life in the midst of everyday life in the midst of everyday life Ephesians 1.19 talks about it Ephesians 1.19 Paul prays for the church there and he prays that, listen guys, here's what I pray for you. I pray also that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, 
the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and his incomparably great power for us who believe, that the power is like the working of his mighty strength which he exerted in Christ when he raised him from the dead. We'll talk about that. Raised up people constantly, are constantly exploring the surpassing greatness of the power of God in the midst of everyday life, in the midst of difficulties, in the midst of the pressures and the demands of life, they are constantly reverting back to or falling back on or exploring the greatness of the power of God. I want to uh, explain this word exploring because what does exploring look like? Exploring is this idea of thinking And after you think, verify or validate it through the word so that your thinking is correct. And after that, attempt to apply it to your life. After that, begin to experiment with it on a regular basis. After that, you begin to exhibit it in your life. And once you begin to exhibit it in your life, you begin to transmit or transfer it to others. That's what exploring looks like. Exploring is not reading about it. Exploring is in everyday life, regardless of whether it's a cold or whether it's a, a huge step that you have to take or whether it's a decision in life, whether it's something mundane or whether it's something profound. You revert to or fall back on this life of great, uh, the, the surpassing greatness of the power of God in the midst of everyday life. You keep going back to it. You begin to think along those lines. Yes, this is my situation, but in my weakness, he is strong and his power is available. I need to think like that. And then from that thinking, you go to verifying it so that what you are thinking is actually from the word. What does this power look like? What can it do? What does resurrection power look like? What does the life of the risen Christ look like? You verify it through the word. After having verified it through the word, you attempt it in real life. That's the difference beyond, between theologians and ones who practice theology. You attempt it. You attempt it and once you start attempting it, you experiment with it. What all can it do? Can it apply here? Can it apply here? Can I use it here? You experiment with it. As you begin to experiment with it, you realize this is more real than anything on earth. And you begin to exhibit it in your life. Once you begin to exhibit it, other people notice it, but noticing it ain't enough because you now have to transmit it, convey it, teach it, transfer it, so that it begins to become contagious. That is what exploration looks like. So what happens then is raised up people choose, choose, critical word here, choose, because we will have this choice Every day we will have this choice. Why is this important? Because it's a raised up people that can revive. Raised up people choose to live by the same power that raised Christ from the dead, raised Jesus of Nazareth, raised Jesus of Nazareth from the dead. There's the same power of God that you are now asking for, attempting, experimenting with, verifying from the word, exploring. Same power. One moment, there was a carpenter from Nazareth who was as cold and dead as the slab of stone that his body was resting on, and the next moment, that same carpenter from Nazareth was more alive than he had been in the last 33 years. What kind of power is this? But it is the same power that is available to me right now at this moment, to teach, to preach, to draw from heaven, to use words that are life, to stand here, to stand at once in the presence of God, to expect to hear the Holy Spirit, to know what to say, and I have to choose it. Raised up people choose to live by the same power that raised Jesus of Nazareth from the dead. That uh, the same power that, um, that Jesus presently possesses. 
and shares with me. One of the things we have to realize is Jesus doesn't have a separate column called power that he takes and gives. It is contained in his life. It is his life that has power. We have to develop a muscle. I have to do weights like I do every morning so that my biceps and triceps are where they are at right now. Every morning I pick up my cup of coffee, swing it up to my mouth, keep it down. Swing it up to my mouth, keep it down. And it's building. The point is, we have to do things to make power available. Jesus' life is power. His risen life is of surpassing greatness when it comes to power. And the strange thing is, the life that I presently possess right now, the life that I presently possess right now, the life that you presently possess right now is the risen life of Christ that he shares with you. When you died and rose again, you rose again with a new life. That new life is exactly the same quality, the same substance, the same life as the life that Christ presently possesses. The reason you and I do not realize it is because it's in these earthly jars and we look at the decaying earthly jar and we cannot equate that this earthly jar and the life are different. We look at the earthly jar and we superimpose that on the life that we have which is very different. And if Christians don't begin to let the treasure inside shine through these earthly jars, the others will not realize, our young ones will not realize that the life that they possess is the very life that Christ possesses right now before the Father and he fills the entire universe. That is the same life I presently possess. This is how raised up people choose to think, choose to explore things. There might be a teaching online called Resurrection Life or something that we did years ago. Maybe it's worth hearing it during the week. Raised up people live by the same power that seats Christ and you in the heavenly places. Raised up people as one who has been raised up I choose to live by the same power that seats me at present with him in heavenly places. I choose to live by the same power that raised me to sit with him in heavenly places. What do you mean by that, Jacob? How does it work in real life? Um, again, it goes back to the idea of an empty grave means an uninterrupted, untroubled life because I actually begin to think and believe that I'm seated with him in heavenly places, have an audience with the Father and the King of the entire universe and the Spirit, and that unlike Isaiah who has to occasionally see a vision of the Almighty seated in his throne room, I actually am part of the conversation and I have an uninterrupted, untroubled relationship with the Father because I'm seated with him in heavenly places. It is a choosing, it is an exploring. It's an empty grave means I have an uninterrupted, untroubled relationship with God in his presence, in the presence of the Father and the Son. Unto him who sits on the throne and unto the Lamb um, is something I don't sing from a distance. I actually hear it when others sing it and I join with others and others join with me because of where I'm seated. This is a this is a way that I must choose to think and live. That the kindness of God, Ephesians 2, is something that I must expect. His goodness, his laughter, his power, his kindness. Because for this reason I am seated with him in heavenly places, according to Ephesians 2, 6. 
so that he may shower upon me in this age and in the ages to come. The ridiculous kindness that was reserved for me from the beginning of time that Adam was experiencing till he fell. To the point where you are so favored that you don't ask for much in prayer because you only ask for in prayer that which you haven't experienced out of his favor yet. If our prayer lists are long, it's usually because we don't know what we have favored in. People sometimes walk into places where you would have to take permission to because they have been granted favor to go in there. And so you go in there fully expecting that because of the favor on you, these things are available to me. It is when you don't know your favor that you have to take permission. Raise the people. Know that the Spirit was given to them to strengthen their inner man. Raise the people, know that the Spirit was given to them to strengthen their inner man. That when my inner man is weak, when I am feeling desperate, when I am disappointed, when I am desolate, when I feel abandoned, when there is no one else around, when hope is slowly sapping away, when um, the decay and other things begin to set in, I begin to lean back, revert to, rely on, wrap myself in, pull up myself, build a stronghold with the Holy Spirit, who is the surpassing greatness of God's power given to me in the inner man. And as my inner man begins to rise, I say with Paul that even though the outside is decaying, I am being strengthened in my inner man day by day by day. And when the inner man is strengthened, you become more like Jesus. So what happens then is you begin to both recognize and press into the power of God brought to you by the Holy Spirit, both in extraordinary and visible manifestations of God and for your inward ordinary life. Let me say that again. Raised up people have the ability to expect both the visible extraordinary manifestations of God because of his unsurpassing great power brought to you by the Spirit of God, and to be inwardly strengthened, invisible, inward strengthening for the pressures that you face in your everyday life. It's both. Yeah. Raise the people, recognize, and press into this unsurpassing greatness of the risen life of Christ brought to you by the Holy Spirit, both for visible, extraordinary manifestations of God, mighty exploits and deeds of Yahweh here on earth, and for invisible, inward strengthening so that we can reflect Him accurately. This is why it says that people like this end up experiencing more than you can ask or imagine. You should read the context. We always quote, he'll give us more than we can ask or imagine. But the context is Ephesians 3, 16 to 20. It says there, <laughs> I'm reading from uh, 17 and a half, Ephesians 3, 17 and a half. And I pray that you being rooted and established in love may have the power together with all the saints to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ and to know this love that surpasses knowledge and that you may be filled to the measure of the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine according to his power that is at work within us. To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. And for a revival that is global in scale, a people like this can revive. A people that are raised up end up reviving because without this, it's not possible. Exceedingly abundantly more. I know this is a, a weighty teaching just because of the 
scripture, not because I'm making it weighty. Perhaps I, I'm not simplifying it enough. But may the Spirit of God do that. Guys, I'm going to refuse to live from the power of my natural life. I'm going to refuse to live that life. The test will come in the ordinary chores of life, in the ordinary pressures of life, where there's a coping mechanism where I've already developed. I don't need God. I know how to deal with this. I've been through this many times. This is what you do, and this is how we can solve it. I am choosing to refuse to live from the power of my natural life. In everyday, ordinary life, I am choosing to refuse to live by it. Because so much of my life is taken up solving it with my own natural, sanctified common sense. I, 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 so much, so many chunks of hours in my day is taken up, taken up like that, that I hardly get to experiment with the unsurpassing greatness of the power of God. I'm refusing. And I pray that you stand up with me and refuse to live from the power of your natural life, from the power of your morality, from the power of your resources, from the power of your resources, that I will not live from the power of my resources, whether I have lots or whether I have little. I live out of the surpassing greatness of the power of Christ, of the risen Savior, whose life I share, with whom I am seated, with whom my inward person is being renewed, strengthened to become more like him. Not from my resources, not from my morality, not from my giftings, but surely from the risen life of Christ. That it will be what I rely on in my decisions. It will be what I rely on for my purpose. It will be what I rely on in my normal, everyday uh, pressures and demands. It will be that life that I rely on. The power of his risen life to the point of being misunderstood and ridiculed. To the point of being misunderstood and ridiculed. I, I assure you this. You begin to live that life, you will be misunderstood and ridiculed because it has nothing in common with the life that is lived out in the world by both Christians and non-Christians. Because it begins to influence every decision you make. The normality of life. How you react. How you react in different situations. There are no formulas anymore. Because you're living within the whisper and the frown and the delight and the pleasure and the brow of your father and the son. And you're living out of his life. John 6.63 becomes so normal for you. Spirit and, uh, your words are spirit and life. Flesh decays, profits nothing. There are simple conditions for third day living. Simple conditions for third day living. As found in Exodus 19.11 and we'll finish with that. Simple conditions for third day living. Exodus 19 verse 11. And the Lord said to Moses, Go to the people, consecrate them today and tomorrow. Have them wash their clothes, be ready for the third day. Because on that day, the Lord will come down on Mount Sinai in the sight of all the people. Some very simple uh, but important conditions for third day living. And very logical to expect this, these conditions. And they are Go tell the people. So now you're being told. <laughs> so that's taken care of. Go tell the people. One, consecrate. As in, be, ex be devoted. Two, be, belong exclusively to. Belong exclusively to. Um, uh, be set apart. 
You know, I don't belong to anybody, but I belong to myself and I don't want to belong to myself because I can't be exclusively mine. They should say of you, when they twirl you in your hands, they sh if anyone asks them, so whose imprint is on that coin? They should look at the coin and say, oops, got no imprint. Ain't got Caesar on it, ain't got Jacob on it, must belong to God. Consecrate. Wash your clothes. As in, be cleansed of that which defiles, stains. So we're talking about forms of immorality, sin. Be cleansed. Cleansed of immoral or unethical conduct. Immoral or unethical conduct. And the third one was consecrate, wash your clothes, ready yourself. Ready yourself. Ready yourself. As in Train to participate. Train to participate. Train to participate. When we have Saturday, Sunday services, the tech crew gets everything ready on Saturday evening so that they can come late on Sunday. They come late anyways, but then they really come late on Sunday because they've trained themselves to come and immediately launch the whole thing. Train to participate. I wasn't a good example. Uh, but uh, these are the three things that are conditions for third day living. Consecrate, be devoted to, belong exclusively to, be set apart, wash your clothes, be cleansed of that which is immoral or unethical in conduct. Ready yourself, train to participate. And I'll tell you why this is important. Guys, this this resurrection life is like Fissile, nuclear, radioactive, reactive material. You cannot house it in some ordinary plastic container. <laughs> it cannot contain it. It is impossible to house it in something ordinary. These temples are, are the only things that can contain it, but these temples are temples of the living, holy one. And so this holy uh, life of unsurpassing greatness can only be contained in temples washed with his blood, cleansed and maintained that way with increasing desire and delight. Then these temples, these bodies can house the risen life of Christ himself. And bodies that can house that kind of life begin to affect not just your physical and mental and emotional life, it affects everything around you. I'm so keen on this. I don't have as many years as, say, uh, an Evan or a Jeremy has. i got to show this, man. Jars of clay that are decaying. Oh my God, such clean jars of clay inside. This is when you die and people are thrown into your grave and they come alive. Let's sing rattle again.
our risen Jesus. Come humbly, Abba. Not demanding this life, not taking it for granted because I'm born again. Come humbly, receiving this life as the greatest gift at a very high cost. And I want to honor this life, Lord. I want to explore and exhibit and transfer it. I want to be a sanctuary for your life, a temple for your life, for this risen life that Jesus presently has that he, uh, I mean, it is so odd to say this, but you share your private life with me, Jesus. This is your life. It's your life. You're sharing it with me. I receive it humbly, oh God, but I want to contain it well. But even there, I don't have to be afraid because I have your spirit who can strengthen me and help me walk that way. I'm praying this for all of us, not just for me. Okay, get ready. I'll just pull out a... Uh, I might just, I'm trying to pull out a line that uh, I may have somewhere, but you can 